In fact, Jinnah had said that without Calcutta, East Bengal would be a rural slum. But in spite of all that, Dr. Shama Prasad Mukherjee succeeded, and that is a great, great success. Because it is because of him that we Bengali Hindus are Indian citizens and we can walk with our heads held high. If this had not been there, then we would have been Pakistani citizens. The whole of Bengal would have gone to Pakistan, East Pakistan. Not only that, the Northeast would have gone disjointed from the rest of India. See, the, la the, the last time when I finished, this was about the time when Dr. Shama Prasad Mukherjee had just succeeded in uh, getting the Congress to support the partition of Bengal and the uh, regret that the Bengali Muslims were expressing because they were losing West Bengal, particularly Calcutta. Uh, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman has regretted in his unfinished autobiography that he, uh, he has said in these terms, Kolkata Kanopabona, why shouldn't we get Calcutta? You must understand that Calcutta then was not the present lackluster Calcutta. It was the first city in the whole of British India and the center in terms of both commerce and industry. The British trading class as well as the civil servants, the military, all had a very big presence in Calcutta. That is why the Muslims were regretting this. In fact, Jinnah had said that without Calcutta, East Bengal would be a rural slum. But in spite of all that, Dr. Shama Prasad Mukherjee succeeded. And that is a great, great success. Because it is because of him that we Bengali Hindus are Indian citizens and we can walk with our heads held high. If this had not been there, then we would have been Pakistani citizens. The whole of Bengal would have gone to Pakistan, East Pakistan. Not only that, the Northeast would have gone disjointed from the rest of India. Because the Northeast right now is connected only by a very narrow isthmus of land, which, is, which has got Nepal on one side and Bangladesh on another side. But both are friendly countries, so there is no problem. But earlier times, it had Pakistan on East Pakistan on one side. Now, if the whole of Bengal had gone to Pakistan, then the Northeast would have gone disjointed. And the result would have been, as I can see, uh, the eventually the Northeast should have also gone to Pakistan. As a matter of fact, much later, uh, Molana Bhashani who was a religious, political religious leader of East Pakistan and subsequently Bangladesh. He had gone to the extent of saying that unless West Bengal and Assam are integrated into Bangladesh, the map of Bangladesh will not be complete. The map of Bangladesh will not be complete. And this he was saying post-1971. So you can imagine the kind of regret that the Bengali Muslims Bangladeshis had for losing Calcutta and the enormity of Dr. Shama Prasad Mukherjee's efforts. I spent all this time over this particular thing because I think this, is the, this was the greatest achievement of his life. The second great achievement of his life was, of course, uh, it had a very delayed uh, effect. That is the sacrifice of his life in Kashmir which uh, was in the interest of uh, abrogation of Article 370. But it happened many years later, only in 2020. I'll not go as far as that. I will keep myself confined to the 1940s. Now, 
when the time for formation of independent india's first cabinet came it was at mahatma gandhi's insistence that uh, dr shama prasad mukherjee was included in the cabinet uh, that is not to say that shama prasad mukherjee and mahatma gandhi were great friends in fact they were at opposite poles gandhi ji never supported the hindu mahasabha but they were otherwise on good terms shama prasad mukherjee once went to somadma ji and gandhi ji told him that in our party patel is a congressman with a hindu mind you be a hindu mahasabhaist with a congress mind So Shama Prasad Mukherjee said, "No, no, I am not going to be a Congressite. In any case, I have decided long time back not to be with the Congress. So I'll be the way I am. But we are going to keep." We were in 1947, and I was mentioning what a great achievement of Dr. Mukherjee it was to get Bengal partitioned as a corollary. to the partition of india now there is something else that i would like to uh, mention again which i am not sure i had properly emphasized during my last talk it is about the quit india movement and it had taken place in uh, august this very month august 1942 now we uh, are sometimes quite excited about the quit india movement that it is a great movement or something like that now this quit india movement i personally think it's not a very well thought out movement dr ambedkar had strongly opposed it and called it irresponsible and insane and shama prasad mukherjee had also opposed it and because of his opposition a lot of people are uh, have abused him saying that he acted as a stooge of the british but you know the surprising thing about the quit india movement was the way gandhi ji uh, envisaged it was that the british should quit india but because the second world war was still raging and still 3 years away from completion Three years away from completion, British and American troops would still be on Indian soil. Now, what kind of quit India is that? It is an absurdity, totally. This is something that Dr. Shyam Prasad Mukherjee clearly pointed out and said that it, it is not possible. I can understand that the British leaving India is the uh, is the uh, is what people of India want. but it is not consistent with foreign troops being in india even inside the congress uh, cr that is chakraborty rajagopalachari opposed it and that is why he uh, left the congress temporarily and eventually when as a result of the quit india movement all the um, uh, congress uh, congress leaders went to jail Rajagopalachari was left out of it. He did not go to jail. That takes us to another story. I am not going into that. So now, let us come back to 1947. Gandhi ji insisted uh, that Dr. Mukherjee be taken into Nehru's cabinet. I had, when I was writing Dr. Mukherjee's biography, I had uh, interviewed a gentleman called Bera. he was a sort of a secretary uh, to dr mugaji one day he was sitting with dr mugaji then he got a phone call from nehru and said that uh, he, and he put down the phone and said nehru is asking me to join the cabinet shall i do it then this person was totally non plus he said sir i am a very small fellow why are you asking me he said no no i don't agree with nehru on most matters so what should i do so he said sir you decide for yourself i am too small to um, give an opinion on this eventually he decided to join he wanted the education portfolio because he had spent his pre political years in the, in the field of education 
But he was not given that because Molana Azad captured it. So he was given the supply and industries portfolio. It was a very important portfolio still, uh, although not as good as the one that he wanted. In that portfolio, Dr. Mukherjee had left certain imprints which uh, ought to be mentioned. One was the starting of the Sindri fertilizer factory. Before this, all the, uh, the use of fertilizer was rather an exception than the rule in Indian agriculture. And all this fertilizer used to be important. Now, Dr. Mukherjee had decided or the cabinet had decided that there must be a fertilizer factory in India. That fertilizer should be ammonium sulfate. And Dr. Mukherjee decided that, I mean, he chose uh, Sindri, a small village near Dhanbad in Jharkhand, presently in Jharkhand, then in Bihar, to be the location of this factory. And this factory had provided uh, sort of a beacon, a guiding light for further fertilizer industry to come up in India. Then Dr. Mukherjee, uh, another great achievement was the Chitranyan Locomotive Works. Chitranyan Locomotive Works went into manufacture of steam locomotives, which were the only kind of locomotives that he used in the Indian railways. Of course, the scheme was originally planned by the, the hatched by the railways. But as the industries minister, he was the person who had really given shape to this thing. Chitranyan Locomotive Works still, is, is still existing and turning out engines, except that it doesn't uh, manufacture steam engines anymore. The railways have switched over to uh, and this particular plant has switched over to uh, electric engines and diesel shunters. That is what they make. Diesel engines are made at Varanasi. Third achievement of Dr. Mukherjee was in giving shape to the Damodar Valley Corporation. See, Damodar River was called the sorrow of Bengal because the river was dry most of the year, but during monsoon, it when it flowed full, it flooded the, the adjoining areas and brought a lot of sorrow to the people. As a result of which, a lot of people died, agriculture suffered, all these things happened. So to combat this, even during the British days, some, some thought was given to starting a, a corporation, but it was wartime and not much was done. So now the war was over and we had got independence and Dr. Mukherjee decided that this must be given concrete shape. One problem with the Damodar Valley Corporation was that it ran through two states. Then Bihar, now Jharkhand and West Bengal. And therefore how to manage a river which ran through two states because river management is basically something which is done by the state. So Dr. Mukherjee in this thing took the uh, uh, parallel from the Tennessee Valley Authority, TVA of the United States, which ran through several states, but was a, a supervening authority. And on the model of that, he started the Damodar Valley Corporation. The Damodar Valley Corporation originally envisaged some eight dams but out of those eight dams, only four were constructed, four were for some reason given up. So this is unfortunate because had the plant been there, had these dams been there, some uh, sort of flooding which particularly takes, takes place in the lower Damodar Basin, in the Ghatal area of the West Midnapur district of West Bengal, it could have been avoided. Then uh, another achievement of Dr. Mukherjee was his uh, parliamentary skills. His parliamentary skills were unparalleled. Even when he was a member of the Bengal Provincial Assembly, he had shown these skills. 
and he had lambasted the Muslim League ministers one after another. He could do nothing except speak because the power was in the hands of the Muslim League and the British governor was totally on the side of the Muslim League. Even so, the sort of thing that he had done, uh, he had said, where they uh, made the Muslim League ministers hang their heads in shame. Surawardi, who was the Prime Minister of Undivided Bengal until 1947, had done a lot of mischief, what we call Ferry, during the Bengal famine and had given the uh, duty of procuring rice to some private entrepreneurs who were benefactors of the Muslim League, a company called Ispahani and Company. This Ispahani was, they later on they moved to Karachi and they set up a huge industry over there. Ispahani was always a backer of Jinnah. And this Ispahani was uh, benefited by this arrangement that the Muslim League linked up. Now, Dr. Mukherjee asked this person, Surawardi, um, that on what basis did you allot it to Ispahani? And secondly, what kind of agreement do you have with Ispahani? The whole thing was so unclear, so lacking in transparency that Surawardi could not show a single piece of paper. All that he could show is that he had the majority because he had the support of the Muslims and Bengal was a 55% Muslim state. So you can imagine to what extent we were relieved that West Bengal was formed after partitioning of Bengal. Then we come, if we come to independent India, the, there were certain members, even within the Congress, some outside the Congress, who were very critical of Dr. Mukherjee. One of them complained that you have filled your cabinet, you have given your cabinet post to Bengali officers. This was this complaint was made to uh, Pandit Nehru, and Nehru asked uh, Shamaprasad Mukherjee for his remarks. Shamaprasad Mukherjee gave a complete reply, saying that the persons who have been posted here, they just happen to be Bengalis. They are central government officers. They happen to be Bengalis and they have come here, but they are Indians, basically. So what is your complaint? Nehru had no answer to that. Another time, the, uh, there was a complaint that some toothbrushes for some government department, possibly jails or something like that, had been purchased by the government and these were these proved to be uh, improper. Toothbrushes proving to be improper, but that was the state of Indian industry at that time. So these toothbrushes were sold off at no, uh, at uh, practically no price. So why was this done? When Dr. Mukherjee was questioned, asked this question, and naturally the speaker said, you will ask for notice. He said, no, no, I don't need notice. Then he fished into his pocket and took out a toothbrush, which had no bristles at all. And he said, this is the sort of toothbrush that was manufactured and I had great difficulty in disposing them of. Whatever money I got was something, it's good enough for us. So this is the sort of thing. In between, things were happening in East Pakistan. East Pakistan, before independence, what was then East Bengal was very solidly Muslim majority, roughly about the landmass that then formed East Pakistan was roughly 70% uh, Muslim and 30% Hindu. But in most positions of importance, they were Hindus, particularly in the fields of education and culture, they were Hindus. So East Pakistan government and the Bengali Muslims didn't mind it particularly. But when the West Pakistani Punjabi uh, Muslims, they came to East Pakistan, they were quite surprised to find this and they were aghast that you, we can't permit Pakistan to have so much Hindu domination. 
So they first tried several kinds of uh, methods. Like they wanted to write the Bengali language in Arabic script, the script in which you write Urdu. They wanted to write the Bengali language in Arabic script. Even Bengali Muslim intelligentsia, great, uh, there was a person called uh, Dr. Muhammad Shahidullah, who had the title of Mahamahopadhyay because he was a Sanskrit scholar. This Dr. Shahidullah opposed it. A whole lot of people opposed it and the Pakistanis gave up. Then they started harassing Hindu landowners. A huge lot of land was at that time owned by Hindus all over East Pakistan. This is this land was uh, the extent of land has been is stupendous. This has been lately analyzed by a professor called Abul Barkat in Bangladesh, who has published several learned books on the extent of land grabbing by the Pakistani authorities from Hindu landowners. And, but anyway, the land grab, the sort of thing that used to be done was that the Pakistanis promulgated a requisitioning act. Supposing a Hindu had some big property in a city, then suddenly overnight he would be dispossessed of that property and he would be told to uh, hunt for something else and that property would be allotted to some government official. And for this, he would be given a rent which was less than the tax that he had to pay. So because of this, he had to, these persons had to uh, give it up and they decided that it is, uh, most of them had decided that it is not possible to live in this country and they all left for uh, West Bengal. Still, this was a time when the people who were leaving from, uh, for West Bengal, they could get some kind of thing from West Bengali Muslims who wanted to come to East Bengal. There were not many of them. Only some middle class Muslims who were government employees or who wanted uh, a, uh, to, uh, to uh, Muslim company so that they could get their sons and daughters married. It is those people who mostly moved from the uh, West Bengal to um, East Bengal. The rest of the, the multitude of the Muslims did not move, which is proved by the fact that in West Bengal, in West Bengal, West Bengal state of India, the percentage of Muslims from 1947 to present day has gone up. It has not gone down. It has gone up. According to 1951 census, Muslims formed 20% of the population of West Bengal. Today, they form more than 30%. One reason, of course, is greater procreation by the Muslims, having larger families, not practicing birth control. And the other, of course, is infiltration from Bangladesh, which the so-called secular parties had encouraged. I'm not going into that. But this was the situation as a result of which the uh, entire balance of population on East Pakistan was gradually changing. It was 29% actually in 1947. It was gradually going down. Then the uh, no, in between, because this kind of thing was happening, probably complaints were made to the government of India. At that time, Sardar Patel was alive, and at least there was someone to speak on behalf of Hindus. So Sardar Patel induced Nehru to speak to Pakistan, and Nehru inked two inter-dominion agreements. Inter-dominion agreements between India and Pakistan, because both were British dominions at that time. And these inter-dominion agreements said that these uh, countries, both India and Bangladesh, India and Pakistan, will look after their uh, minorities properly. It had no application to Punjab, because by that time, the entire population of uh, exchange of population in Punjab was over. 
But in Bengal, the exchange population was not over. It is not even over today. And as a result, the uh, Nehru imagined that as a result of this thing, his problem would be solved. Surprising thing is he first inked one such pact in early 1948. Then again, later in 1948, he inked yet another pact. Second, Benga, the uh, interdominion agreement. These interdominion agreements were simply treated like toilet paper by Pakistan. In between, there were things in India happening, like the police action in Hyderabad, in which Sardar Patel marched the Indian army to Hyderabad state, where the Nizam was uh, not ready to join the Indian Union, and the problem was taken care of. But this caused some reaction in East Pakistan, and uh, this was uh, probably brought to, to the notice of Nehru, Nehru did nothing. The only person who was agitating it was Dr. Shambrasad Mukherjee. But because he was within the cabinet and because the cabinet has a collective responsibility, he could not uh, agitate it as, uh, as uh, loudly as he wanted. So this went on. Then finally in 1950, the Pakistan government decided that these halfway houses won't do. They are going to get rid of the Hindu minority in East Pakistan once and for all. So in February 1950, when in India we were celebrating our first Republic Day, in February 1950, the Pakistanis started a pogrom, not a riot, a pogrom one-sided killing of Hindus in East Pakistan. And it went on until uh, March, until March 1950. And in between, nobody knows, nobody has the number of how many Hindus were killed, how many women, Hindu women were raped, how many Hindu women went missing, how many Hindus were dispossessed. But on the whole, I have done some calculation on the basis of which I have inserted in my book, My People Uprooted, in that I have calculated that on the whole 1.2 crores of Hindus were displaced from East Pakistan or subsequently Bangladesh and came to India. And mind you, this, is, this was a one-way movement. Unlike Punjab, this was a one-way movement. In Punjab, all the Hindus and Sikhs came away from West Punjab. And all the Muslims went to uh, 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 from Indian Punjab to Pakistani Punjab. But in Bengal, there was a one-way movement. There was no reciprocal movement of Muslims from West Bengal to East Bengal. As a result, the, Muslim, the refugees who came from East Bengal, they did not have any sort of a vacant Muslim property as the Punjabi refugees had which was allotted to them officially by the government all over Punjab and present-day Punjab, Haryana and parts of Himachal Pradesh. The Muslim properties which were abandoned were given, but there was no such succor for the Bengali refugees. These things were brought to the notice of Nehru by Shama Prasad Mukherjee inside the cabinet. And situation started taking such a bad turn there were such slaughters of Hindus all over Pakistan, all over East Pakistan, that Dr. Shamarasad Mukherjee was no longer content with voicing it inside the cabinet. He started talking about it openly, even in the parliament. He demanded an exchange of population. Nehru gave some very high-flown arguments about not having an exchange of population. He said this is a matter of trust. All the Muslims who have stayed back in India, they have trusted us. This is nonsense. I have nothing against the Muslims who have stayed back in India, but they had all voted for the Muslim League in the 1945 elections to the Central Assembly in British India. So they wanted Pakistan. 
it simply happened that they uh, at that time pakistan had not taken shape nobody knew which part would go to by, by india which part would go to pakistan so at that time uh, the people who voted for pakistan did not know whether their place will remain in india or pakistan when they found that their place was still in india those muslims decided to stay back because nobody for no reason wants to leave his home and hurt they stayed back and the indian state helped them which i think is justified in the fitness of things but that does not mean that they had reposed any kind of trust in india but that was nehru nehru's thinking was so muddled that the eminent journalist durgadas had mentioned that he used to live in his own land of make believe and when reality clashed with make believe his make believe land he chose his make believe rather than reality so nehru did not agree to this kind of exchange of population dr shamprasad mukherjee went to the extent of saying that when the exchange of population in punjab took place then nehru must have kept all these high talks and ideas in cold storage now i beseech him that he can put these talks uh, he can put these things again in cold storage and arrange for an exchange of population but nehru didn't listen to it meanwhile the slaughter of hindus went on i'll just give one example of what the government sponsored pogrom slaughter of hindus can be there is a bridge called the meghna across the meghna river in present day bangladesh it's quite a big bridge meghna is a major river it's uh, longer than uh, delhi's jamuna bridge or about the same size same length but it was over a perennial river there is always water in that river this is between the stations of ashuganj and bhairab bazar in Uh, Bangladesh then in East Pakistan this bridge uh, is the is a very important link between the principal towns of Dhaka and Chittagong now on 12th of february 1950 all trains which passed over this bridge were stopped in mid river and all hindus in those trains were butchered and they dead and their dead or half dead bodies were thrown into the river i got this i mean this is widely known i mean uh, people who have done this research but uh, it has not been recorded by anyone other earlier than i'm sorry to say earlier than me but this thing this uh, wholesale slaughter could not have been possible without the uh, whole thing having been planned by the government otherwise why should every train stop in the middle of the river i was saying where i got it from i got it from an eyewitness this eyewitness was spared by the muslims only because he happened to be wearing pajamas those days hindus all were used to used to wear dhotis muslims used to wear lungis or pajamas this person was wearing a pair of pajamas which is why he was mistaken for a muslim and he was spared otherwise all the hindus were killed the women had sindoor in their head or they had other signs of um, hindu they had a bindi on their forehead like you have and uh, these identified them as hindu women they were all their throats were slit and they were thrown into the river now this thing is not known to the rest of india but this proves beyond doubt that this there was complicity of the government in this whole thing why complicity the government had planned it this was all planned by a, the chief secretary of uh, east pakistan his name was aziz ahmed and this aziz ahmed was an ics officer indian civil service who had opted for pakistan he has been described by our bk nehru who also belong to the ics bikaneru has described him as notoriously anti hindu bikaneru's autobiography which i have here with me it's called nice guys finish second 
it describes Aziz Ahmed, this slaughterer of Hindus, as uh, notoriously anti-Hindu. So this process went on. Nehru proposed to Liaquat Ali. At that time, he was the uh, Prime Minister of Pakistan. He proposed to Liaquat Ali that they undertake a joint visit of East Pakistan. Liaquat Ali absolutely rubbished it. He didn't do it. And Nehru didn't have the courage to force it. Then, uh, subsequently, uh, a sort of retaliatory uh, riots had started in West Bengal. As soon as the retaliatory riots had started, Nehru suddenly woke up. Until then, this kind of thing was happening. The slaughter of Hindus were happening all over East Bengal, but he wasn't bothering. But as soon as the retaliation started, he suddenly woke up and said, this will not be tolerated. He, will, he immediately got the police and the military to get down to the job. And then he managed to put down. The West Bengal government was led at that time by Dr. Bisira. They also cooperated. Dr. Mukherjee was never in favor of this retaliation. But he wanted justice to be done to the East Bengali Hindus, which Nehru refused. Then, once this retaliation started, not just Nehru, but Liaquat Ali also um, spoke up, uh, woke up. Until then, Liaquat Ali was not giving any sort of uh, uh, any any sort of uh, room to Nehru. Nehru's promise, uh, Nehru's proposal of undertaking a joint inspection was totally poo-pooed by him. But when Muslims started killing, getting killed in West Bengal, he woke up and he proposed that Nehru and Liaquat Ali sign a pact. Now, Nehru immediately jumped at it and they signed a pact on the 8th of April, 1950. 8th of April, 1950 is a black day. This nehru Liaquat Pact, also called the Delhi Pact, is a piece of political stupidity. Why do I say so? Because it could not have been unknown to Nehru, who had his intelligence network. It could not have been unknown to him that the violence, the slaughter of Hindus in East Pakistan was the act of the East Pakistan government itself. So with whom was he making a pact? He was making a pact with the government which had him itself started an anti-Hindu pogrom. And what was the content of the pact? The content of the pact was the same as the two inter-dominion agreements earlier, which said that each country should look after its own, uh, its own uh, minorities. The whole thing is a piece of nonsense. But as I said, as Durga Das had said, that Nehru lived in his own world of make-believe, and he simply... Uh, gave in to whatever Liyakat Ali said. Then Nehru, then Dr. Shyam Prasad Mukherjee decided that he can't countenance this thing while being in the cabinet. He's going to resign from the cabinet. Not only him, but there was another Bengali minister called Khitish Chandra Niyogi. He also resigned from the cabinet. The resignation letter of Dr. Shyam Prasad Mukherjee is a classic expose of the uh, idiocy of Jawaharlal Nehru in this particular phase. Then Dr. Mukherjee, this was, this is, I'm talking of 8th April 1950. At that time, question might arise, what was Sardar Patel doing? Sardar Patel was full of regret that Mukherjee was leaving the cabinet, but he could do nothing because he was genetically in this, uh, um, uh, averse to stepping into Nehru's territory. And in, a, in addition to that, he was very ill. This was in April. He died in December. Same year, he died in December. So Sardar Patel was, simply could not do it. If he had been the Prime Minister of India, things would have been different, but that did not take place. So after that, Dr. Mukherjee left the cabinet. He was a leader without, a, uh, he was a leader without any followers because he had some differences with Savarkar, as a result of which he had left the Hindu Mahasabha in 1948. 
then he was simply an individual who was there in the cabinet for all this time, all the work that, that he had done. Then he was approached by Parampujaniya Guruji Golwalkar, and who was at that time the Sarsang Chalak of the Rashtriya Swamsevak Sangh. And he was asked whether uh, he was prepared to, whether uh, Shamprasad Mukherjee was prepared to form a party or not. Shamaprasad Mukherjee, they were conversing in Hindi. I have this from a person who was uh, present during this conversation, one Bansilal Soni. He is dead now. He said that uh, this person, uh, um, uh, Guruji, asked Shamaprasad Mukherjee that you kindly form a party. I'll give you my best Swamsevaks. And this best Swamsevaks included who? Uh, Atal Bihari Bajpayee, Deen Dal Upadhyay, Jagdish Mathur, uh, Sundar Singh Mandari, several others. Absolutely pieces of gold. And when Dr. Mukherjee was first a little diffident, he said that I am already 50 years old. Shall I be able to do it? Then uh, Guruji said, nothing doing, you have to do it for the sake of Hindus. Then he started, went about this task. His chief lieutenant in this job was Balraj Madhok. And Balraj Madhok's book on this uh, phase of Dr. Mukherjee's life is a classic. Uh, I have taken great help from this book and from an interview of Balraj, Dr. Balraj Madhok, which I did in 1991 or 92, in which he has described this phase of Dr. Mukherjee. And eventually, in 19, late 1951, there was a meeting of uh, in the Arya Kanna Vidyalaya in Delhi, in a place called Gandhi Grounds, which is now a car park somewhere near the Lal Kela. And there, some among them 500 people, the party, new party called the Bharatiya Jansang was launched. This Bharatiya Jansang later on merged into the Jayaprakash Narayan's Janta Party in 1977, but later on came out of it again and formed the present-day Bharatiya Janta Party. The rest is history, ladies and gentlemen. I don't have to explain to it. And this brings me to the end of my talk. Thank you very much. So I was reading about this article, which talks about this uh, 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 celebration of uh, Independence Day on 18th August, mm. 1947, in some parts of uh, some parts of uh, Nadia district, Nadia district, some villages like Shivnivas or some villages. I was reading an article. So, and there it's mentioned that uh, Shama Prasad Mukherjee greatly helped that those parts which were actually uh, given to the, given uh, under the territory of Pakistan initially, and then it was redrawn uh, into the territory of India. So, can you please uh, explain that, about that, that Shama Prasad Mukherjee, how helped? Mukherjee had managed to uh, wrest West Bengal from the clutches of uh, Muslim League, but it was still not decided as to which part would become West Bengal and which part would become East, uh, which part would be Pakistan and which part would be, uh, be India. So this job was entrusted to another an English barrister called Sir Cyril Radcliffe. And do you know why Cyril Radcliffe was chosen for this job? He was chosen for his ignorance of India so that he uh, would not have any bias. So this Nadia district, one of the districts which was itself partitioned, the uh, two subdivisions of Nadia district, that is Krishnanagar and Ranaghat, they came to India. The rest of the district went to Pakistan. It was renamed Kushtia. That is it. Namaskar. It was a very detailed uh, description of uh, also especially how the BJP was formed. Uh, I, I just came across an article uh, uh, 
about uh, some killings in 71 like 450 marwadi families were traveling by they were uh, special hindu train was arranged for them and they stopped midway and then uh, 450 marwadi families were just chopped off so uh, it's uh, especially after the partition and so much of hindu killing i wonder why people still stayed back uh, to uh, meet this kind of fate um, and still it's going on every every day we hear something or the other yes in fact uh, there are still more than a crore of hindus in uh, in bangladesh they form uh, officially they form about 8% of the population of bangladesh but unofficial estimates put them at a higher figure something like 12 or 13% of the population. The Marwadis had said back because they were the trading class. The uh, Bengali Hindus were not very good at trading and Bengali Muslims were even worse. So the Marwadis must have thought, I don't know what they thought, but they must have thought that since we are not into politics, we are not into business. And in any case, we can manage these people with money. So uh, let us stay on. This incident that you mentioned, it's a horrific incident. It took place in a place called Golahat. Golahat is near an important railway junction called Parvatipu. In this Golahat, these Marwari families, they were trying to escape to India through a nearby border in Haldibadi in India. And they were still in Pakistani territory when they were trained was stopped and set upon by Bihari Muslims. These Bangladesh railways at that time had a large number of Bihari Muslims among them who did not speak Bengali and who were all in favor of Pakistan. They were opposing Bangladesh's liberation struggle. These Bihari Muslims set up on, this, uh, set up on, them, set up on them and started dragging those people and then killing them with their bare hands or hitting them on their heads. And the little children, there were children among them, these children were thrashed against rails and their heads smashed. In this way, a lot of slaughters happened. This Gulahad is only one of the slaughters in which Marwadis were the victims. But apart from that, a lot of other slaughters happened. There is a complete list of them in uh, the, uh, you can find it in Wikipedia. It has also been reproduced in my book, My People Uprooted. Have you by any chance read my book? No, but I've been reading except from that and I've been like posting on social media also. Okay, uh, okay. I, uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's... I compiled your threads one time and posted. Right, but um, uh, I... I haven't read the book. Very humbly suggest. Yeah, sure. I'll, 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 uh, I'll buy it. Yeah. I read my book and uh, it is um, available on Amazon and it's published by a Delhi publisher called Synergy Books India. Yeah, okay. So, um, in that, all these things are uh, explained in detail. Thank you. Uh, you know, we Hindus keep talking of all these massacres and all, but when are we Hindus ever going to learn? We helped Bangladesh with their liberation. And what are they giving us in return? Now they are killing, our, destroying our temples and killing more Hindus. And the latest news, what I saw yesterday, I think Muslims are very cutter and nobody can be more cutter than the Taliban. And now we are helping Afghanistan when you know Taliban rule is there. When will we ever going to learn that no matter how much you help the Muslims, they are just going to kill you and they are going to be against you? This is, most of it is unfortunately true. But... Uh... I don't know much about Afghanistan, but about Bangladesh, uh, I have a complaint against the Hindus of West Bengal. Hindus of West Bengal, including those who had who themselves or whose ancestors had come from Bangladesh, they don't feel for the Bangladeshi Hindus. Because they don't feel for the Bangladeshi Hindus, they don't talk out and they don't agitate for the Bangladeshi Hindus. I was surprised when I was in college, there used to be agitations in favor of Vietnam all over West Bengal, but never any agitation 
on the condition of the Hindus. In that is what is so shocking. Absolutely. And that is the reason why the Hindus in Bangladesh are so helpless. Now, what we have got to do is we have got to, we can't wait for the reaction of the West Bengal Hindus. The central government has got to take this matter in hand and they must put relentless uh, diplomatic pressure. After all, Bangladesh is a foreign country. Uh, relentless diplomatic pressure on Bangladesh to stop this kind of thing. Because we don't want the Hindus to come away. We want the Hindus to live there as minority, but still as human beings. So this is what we are, uh, what we ought to do. Now, uh, I have tweeted and I have petitioned our external affairs minister, Jayashankarji, Dr. Jayashankar, to do something about it. It's, the rest is left to him now. Not really a question, but on the subject of West Bengal Hindus' reaction, last year, Durga Puja, when these things were happening in Bangladesh, I did not see any reaction in Kolkata here from the Hindus. And the celebrities here, especially the media and this um, uh, the film industry and all, they keep talking about Epar Bangla and Opar Bangla I know, and I never, know. never ever speak about the condition of Hindus there. So that's very saddening. It's very Open. sad and this is the result of leftism. See, the, so this leftism which has been injected into Bengali Hindus since the 1930s, it didn't start yesterday. It had started as far back as 1930s. This has completely warped their sense of priorities, their perspective, their uh, views about their own self-interest. And this is the, what you have seen is perfectly correct. This is the result of that. I have a book on that also. This is in Bengali. If you read Bengali, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, you can read that book also. It is called Bampantha Bhankari Banglayo Bideshi. Bampantha Bhankari Banglayo Bideshi. 